I'm Michael Kist of Bleeding Green Nation, and I invite you, gentle listener, to join us for the best analysis of the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles in the business. BGN Radio provides you with the most informative preview shows, and the Kist and Solak show dives deep into all the scheme and X and O details you could ever want. Plus discussions with the industry's brightest minds, including former NFL players and press conferences from the Eagles coaching staff to keep you up to date and informed every step of the way. Subscribe to Bleeding Green Nation today. Fly, Eagles, fly. I can feel the soil falling over my head And as I climb into an empty bed Oh well, enough said I know it's over, still I cling I don't know where else I can go over Hello and welcome to episode 63 of the Step Over Pod, our first uh, off-season episode in a, in quite a while. Uh, I am Jim, with me as always is Max. Max, how are you doing today? I'm feeling very centered, Jim. See, it's zen. We're, all, we're both very zen. This makes a very boring podcast. Yeah, there aren't going to be a lot of hot takes, I don't think. And also, we're a few days removed, so I think we're both. Yeah. You know, any any hot any hotness we had has like since cooled in the the days since the season ended. Right. Plus, I mean, the reality versus expectations factor. I mean, if you had told us at the beginning of the season this is how this was all going to work out, we would have been fucking thrilled. So, um, but yeah, we're going to do a little bit of a you know, a recap of the series before we get into some deeper um, season recap stuff. Talk about the future of the teams over the lottery coming up next week. Uh, it's going to be a bit of a longer one today, so uh, feel free to bounce around, catch us completely out of context, which probably doesn't make a difference anyway. But let's recap a little bit of the series first, Max. Um, not how we wanted it to go, obviously. Five games uh, and some very questionable and sloppy play at times. Uh, what was your overarching, you know, if you if you took one message away from this series... What do you think it was? Uh, I mean, just I, I guess it's obvious, but that they're just so inexperienced. Like they just made right. it. Just felt like the Celtics didn't make mistakes, and the Sixers constantly made mistakes. It felt like um, yeah. it reminded me a lot of like the process years when they'd stay in games, like they they hustle and run the floor and get out on the break and like stay with a good team, like the Thunder or the Warriors or the the Cavs and inevitably they'd fall apart at the end because they would just make dumb mistakes. Mm-hmm. They'd get beat in transition, you know, late in the game. They'd um, commit a dumb foul or, you know, whatever. And it just felt like that again. And it hadn't yeah. felt like that for a while. And I think it's just, you know, the playoffs are different. Um, obviously, especially going down Oh three, there was so much pressure and even down Oh two, there was so much pressure. Like I think, it just it just became really evident that they didn't have playoff experience, and even the guys on the team who did, that like Redick and Bellinelli, or like you know more ancillary players, you can't really lean upon the way that um, you know even like Al Horford, who's just you know been in the playoffs every year and he's one of their better players. Like we didn't really have that, and mm-hmm. it seemed like with the Celtics, there's a combination of things. It's like also everyone was so hot for them. 
they were basically playing like the Sixers were playing a month ago, where yeah. where they didn't miss open shots. They you know made you pay every time you you had a bad rotation. Um, Jason Tatum was unbelievable. Rozier was great. Uh, yeah. And the Sixers were just—it was the complete opposite. It was like the worst they played all year, where they just weren't—they mm-hmm. weren't taking advantage of opportunities. Uh, Simmons was had a rough series at times. Um, Embiid even didn't look like himself. It was just um, kind of everything went right right for them, and everything seemed to go wrong for the Sixers. And I have to attribute some of that just to experience. Yeah, I mean, you could probably make the argument that Ben Simmons didn't hit the rookie wall into the playoffs and then it came for yeah. him hard, um, which, you know, I, I mean, if he's going to hit it, you'd rather him hit it in the regular season and work through it. But, I mean, he didn't. He really didn't have – I mean, he has down games and stuff, obviously, but he played so outstanding throughout the entire year. Um, but for me, the, the kind of the, – the one takeaway from this series that I was thinking about during the Miami series too, especially after they lost that one game, uh, was that – the gulf between where they were at the beginning of the year and where they ended the season is just about the same size as the gulf between being ahead of schedule and being ready to contend, right? So from where they were at the beginning of the season to like ready to be a contender, they made up 50% of that ground very quickly, but they still have another half of that to go before they're like contenders. And I don't think it's necessarily... Uh, uh, you know, a roster change thing, which is going to happen anyway, because we're going to talk about this later with the way contracts are structured. Obviously, a huge free agency period coming up with LeBron and possibly trading for a Kawhi and a Paul George situation. But um, I think what it is, is it just shows you that, like you said, the inexperience, the youth, um, the fact that as, as well as they played to the end of the year because they were really meshing as a unit, a majority of the people on this team did not play together before this season. Um, and that, you know, that catches up to you. That that happens, and your smart uh, teams and smart coaches, which Brad Stevens is a very, very smart coach, are able to pick those things apart. They're able to, you know, diagnose the, the weaknesses and, and make up for them, especially when you have a possible seven games to game plan, right? Where in your regular season, a lot of the stuff is, you know, in the game. You're like, all right, make the substitution, make that, watch some film from their last few games. Here, you watch their film and how they played against you, and you can make very specific changes um, to pick apart the other team's weaknesses, which I think Brett did really well, uh, and what will forever now be known as the TJ McConnell game. But then Brad Stevens countered because Brad Stevens is incredibly smart and incredibly good at his job. Yeah, I, I agree with all that, and I think. You know, I think the other maybe takeaway, if you're looking more uh, on like a granular level, I think the lack of having a guy like Markel Fultz, and not even just his talent and what he could have been this season, but I think the Sixers came into the year really thinking they they were going to have, even if Markel Fultz struggled or was you know slow to start or um, really just played a, a you know more of a, a secondary role, they were expecting to have a guy who you could put the ball in his hands and he could make something happen. And yeah. they really didn't have that. I mean, they were using Marco Bellinelli as that at the end of the year. And yeah. they just need they need that badly. I mean, they were using TJ McConnell that way in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, in a different way because the shot he gets is a layup or a 10-foot turnaround. But uh, they just didn't have a guy who they could do that with. And, and Ben Simmons seemed um, apprehensive or unwilling to be that, even though I think he has the ability to, to make that happen if he's like more aggressive getting to the rim. But... Mm-hmm. 
you know, it, it's tough. It's tough to, to win in the playoffs and not have a guy that when, when it's tough to score a basket, they can just give it to and try to make something happen. And, like, Tatum was that. Rozier was that. Um, the Celtics had that, and the Sixers didn't. And I think the Sixers yeah. really missed that. Yeah, I mean, when you when you traded up and picked Markel Fultz, you were hoping, you know, the highest thing you were possibly hoping for is that he would have this season that Donovan Mitchell had. I think they would have settled for a Dennis Smith season or even a Frank Nielakina. But for whatever reason, you, you, we, we've talked ourselves around the world uh, with the shoulder and the, and the mental aspect as well. But for whatever reason it was, whatever percentages went to the shoulder, whatever percentages went to mental things, it just didn't happen. And that <clears throat> changes the way the entire team structured just four games into the season. Um, and it took them a while to find their footing after that. But once they found it and they really hit that, they hit the ground running, and yeah, they played some bad teams at the end. But you don't—you only have to beat the teams that are in front of you, and, and they were, ended up with the best streak to close the season in NBA history, if I remember correctly. I think they beat it by one game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they just—they ran out of steam in the playoffs. They were outclassed and outmatched by the Celtics. They took pretty good care of the Heat. I mean, that they lost that one game, and, and some other parts of the series were probably closer than they should have been. Um, but yeah, I, I just think they just got bowled over by what is a better team and, and i think too like we talked about this in the last episode which was after uh game two but i i think a lot of people's reaction in the aftermath was like oh they so easily could have been there like you know if they get that foul call at the end of game five or um you know bellinelli hits a three instead of a two in game four or game, game mm-hmm. three um there, there were so many of those moments, right? And I, I don't look at it quite like that. Like, I think that's true. I think, I think maybe right. the, th- the thing I say is I look at this series and I go, you know what? It was closer than the, than the five games makes it look. Um, there was really, yeah. it was really only game one that was a game they, they weren't in. And even that one, it was like they were a run away from, you know, they were within eight or whatever it was in the fourth. Like, it mm-hmm. wasn't completely out of hand. Um, and the other ones were all really close and basically close right down to the wire. Or the Sixers were leading yeah. like in game two and gave it up. Um, but I, I think I look at that and I don't go, oh, they just got unlucky. I look at that and go, okay, they were the one and they were the inferior team in the series. I think Boston deserved to win that series in five or six games um, just based on how well they were playing. But I also think it's a, it's a, a factor of you know, your two best players are a first and second year player. Um, who are both yeah. pretty raw or have a lot of pretty visible flaws. And beyond that, a lot of your role players are either like journeymen guys you picked up during the season or right before last year started, or, you know, guys like uh, Dario Saric, Robert Covington, guys who don't have that playoff experience either, and, or mm-hmm. a lot of NBA experience for that matter. So I think it's yeah. just that really hurt them. Um, and I think that's the reason you see that happen. I don't think it's a, it's a coincidence that the Sixers constantly were finding themselves – just a play away of like one thing had broken their way and it didn't it never did and it always broke yeah i also i don't i don't subscribe to the whole you know oh if if, you know a couple of lucky bounces away because on the on the complete opposite side of that the celtics were a couple of more lucky bounces away from winning games by 15 points right it's not it's not like you know and also if you go back further like you know the bellinelli thing is one thing right where it's like all right well if you step back further and the shot still went in then that's a win but if Boston had one or two more lucky shots in the last five minutes of that, they wouldn't have even had the chance to, to tie the game at the end. 
or if they hit one more shot five minutes before that, then the rest of the game plays out completely differently. So, I mean, I'm not going to get into different timelines and realities here, but that's where I'm going with this. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't subscribe to that belief because you can also just, you, you can end up talking yourself crazy about that shit. You're like, oh, you know, well, if that one shot fell in the first quarter, the whole game would have been different. It's like, yeah, I mean, that's how time works. Um, and, and it's not, you can't rely on luck and lucky bounces to win a series. If so, you're not going to make it very far anyway. Yeah. And you I know it's, it's different if it's game seven of a finals and it, you know, a ball rims in and then goes out or someone's toes barely on the line. That's different. Cause that's one shot at the end of the game. Where you can say that's what decided it, but this is not, this is a series of thousands and thousands of variables. And the thing is, none of these things happen in a vacuum, right? Like it's not right. Exactly. It's not, you know, you, you your point is correct that, um, you know, if any one of those things change, it's like it changes the course of the game. And also, it's like the, the Celtics, you're right, could say the same thing that, you know, there were shots they missed that allowed the Sixers to get back in the game or runs the Sixers went on uh, precipitated by bad calls or, you know, uh, an open three that they missed or whatever it was. But but even beyond that, it's like these things don't happen. It's not a, a flip of a coin or a roll of a, a die that makes it happen. Right. It's like the Celtics had those things work for them because they were the better team in the series. Like they made them happen. They made them, them happen. So I, I think yeah. that it's, it's a, a bad way of looking at it to, to go, you know, they were so close and they could have easily won four once. Like, yeah, they could have, I don't think it was a blowout series. Like the Sixers played well enough to be in the games, but the Celtics were just a little bit better. And that's why they won almost all the games by just a little bit. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much more I have to say, honestly, about about the series. I feel like it's been kind of talked to death, and you know, I think uh, I, it's disappointing the way the season ended. But I think it, it, at the same time, it's um, and I think it's disappointing that you looked at this Boston team and thought they're they're banged up, and this is an opportunity yeah. for this is like the easiest route a team like the Sixers is going to get to get to the mm-hmm. Eastern Conference Finals, and. The reality, though, is the Celtics, uh, I think if I take away anything from this series, it's like the Celtics are going to be really fucking good. Yeah. Uh, and that scares me. The fact that Tatum is as good as he is, um, I don't believe that Rozier is going to be this you know, forever. But Tatum's gotten better. Like, Tatum had a good season and really turned it on in the playoffs and just looks yeah, absolutely. good. And he's young. And, um, you know, when they get Hayward and Irving back and – potentially make another deal or try to do something in the off season like that that does scare me i think that it's they're really the only team in the east that scares me moving forward because i think toronto's mm-hmm. done um the Cavs. i don't think lebron's coming back uh no. i guess whoever lebron goes to if it's not the sixers that team will probably scare me if they're in the east um mm-hmm. but that's kind of it you know i guess the, yeah. i guess the pacers should still be good next year although i don't really know what they're I don't know how they compete with the Celtics and Sixers in the future. They're not going to get that much better. So I feel yeah. pretty good about things moving forward, but the Celtics are going to be really good, and that's going to suck. Yeah. Let me paint you a picture of an alternate timeline since I mentioned it earlier. I wanted to play around with the offseason, uh, having the season work out exactly how it did. Uh, so I fired up the 2K the other day um, for the first time in a while. And for some reason, the start today mode and franchise mode wasn't working. So the start from the beginning of the season. So start in the beginning of the season with this roster as it's constructed with the overalls they have now. And the Sixers won, I believe they ended up winning probably right around the same total of games with the rest of the um, 
the playoffs kind of shook out differently. Uh, in round one, the Sixers and Bucks went to seven, and the Sixers won, and then they were swept by the Cavs in round two. Mm-hmm. I prefer this outcome to that yeah, one. Yeah, this is a pretty good one. And then also, here, let's get a little nuts here for a second. Went into the offseason. Lakers pick didn't move from, I think it ended up at number eight in the game because, again, they had to do the whole season again. So I moved Robert Covington and the eight pick to move up to, like, the five where Luka Doncic fell, grabbed Luka Doncic, ended up signing Paul George because LeBron opted back in, which will not happen, won the title the next year. (laughs) I had given Paul George so much money and I wanted to make a run at somebody else because it's a video game and I was bored with myself. So I traded, I believe, Paul George and somebody else I can't remember for Jason Tatum and Terry Rozier. <laughs> we want another goddamn title. Man. So the future is full of possibilities, everybody. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit but before we move on to we're going to do like player-by-player player grades and kind of recap the season. Um, and also do, I think, a more comprehensive like look ahead to free agency and like mm-hmm. what we're what we're kind of thinking moving forward for the team. Yeah. Um, but before we get there, I do want to talk a little bit about the draft lottery because I don't think we have a sure. ton to say on it. Um, no. Just because, you know, it it kind of is what it is, and there there are really only two outcomes that can three outcomes that can happen, only two of which will have the Sixers picking uh, with that Lakers pick. So. Let's talk a little bit. I, I think my take might be a little bit different than other people's about what I'm looking mm-hmm. for to happen. So the draft lottery is on Tuesday. The Sixers enter with um, the number 10 pick or the number 10 slot from the Lakers in addition to their own pick, which is 26, um, and won't yeah. be in the lottery. So with that 10 pick, you know, if you don't already know, uh, due to the Fultz trade last year, the Sixers will owe that pick to the Lakers, or I'm sorry, to the Celtics if it falls between two and five. So if it jumps to two or three in the lottery, the Sixers lose it. If it jumps to one, the Sixers keep it. If it stays at 10 or falls to 11 or 12, the Sixers keep it. Right. I I think when I'm watching the lottery, I am going to be rooting for the pick to just stay at 10. Like I don't I don't want to see the, the, the uh, card not come up at 10. Because at, I, at that point, it's this, the yeah. odds are a little bit odd or a little bit weird. So it's 4% that it'll jump at all. Um, and within that, it's only 1.1% that it's the number one pick. So it's not a third, a yeah. third, a third. It's more like 25% chance that it's one, slightly better chance that it's two. And then the most likely thing is that it's three, just because yeah. they're, they're such a low-seeded team. Mm-hmm. It scares me. I, I don't know if... I. I don't know if I can handle it jumping to two or three, the Celtics getting right. it this year after just kicking our ass in round two, and they already have right. Tatum and Brown who look awesome and all these stars coming back. Like, I just, that would kill me. Yeah, I agree. I just think that you're going to give them a good pick unless you jump to one both years, which is just not going to happen. And I'm not going to put any, I'm not going to waste mental space on expecting that to happen in any way. So I just feel like I'd rather give them a pick next year and just have that extra gap time so they don't have, like you were saying, like two superstars, a number two or three overall pick, and this draft looks great, plus everything else they've already had this year. Like, that's just too much for me to handle. So I'd rather just put it off a year anyway um, and just make sure to give them, you know, because, again, like the, the best, the pick you can give them is possibly is two or three. 
So even if it's next year, it's going to be the same. Yeah. So yeah, at least a year away, you know, that can, you know, who knows that could fall to five or six or seven or whatever. So, uh, well, I, yeah, also, I think I'd just rather push it off to next year. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a, I'm not, I'm totally not the kind of guy who like when they made the full trade last year, I was not someone who's like, you don't want to give assets to a division rival. It's like, first off, divisions don't matter. Uh, conferences are like the only thing that even come close to mattering. Even those don't matter that right. much. Only matter in terms of the playoffs. Don't really matter in terms of your schedule. But like, I'm not that guy at all. But I think with where the Sixers are right now and where, and where the Celtics are, um, it does matter. Like the Celtics getting an asset that puts them in position to trade for Kawhi Leonard this summer, and potentially jump the Sixers in doing that and, and having a better uh, package to offer. Like that's huge to me. And and I know that yeah. if you just look at it in a vacuum, it's like, okay, yeah. If you jump to jump up from ten, it's like. Yeah, there's a 25% chance or whatever that it's one, and that is amazing and a huge boon. And you draft Luka Doncic, or you trade down and get a bunch of stuff, or you trade that for Kawhi Leonard, or you know whatever it is. Um, but I think giving the Celtics with everything they have and all the assets they have the two or three pick this year in a summer where um, potentially a guy like Kawhi Leonard is going to get traded, I, it just that scares me more than you know if it was a pick if it was us or like the Suns getting the pick I wouldn't care Mm -hmm. like I would just say right okay like the fact that if you give it to them you keep the Kings pick next year makes me go like probably from just a value for the Sixers standpoint it makes sense to like go boom or bust like either you get one or you give it up and then you get the Kings pick next year instead of losing that probably to the Celtics next year so like from a pure value for the Sixers standpoint it definitely makes sense for them to jump into the top three, even if they lose the pick, because then they get to keep the Kings yeah. next year, and it's worth the shot at one. But I just don't feel that way because um, the Celtics being good is almost as important as the Sixers being good. <laughs> you know, if, right. if you're if you're competing for a championship and you're trying to get out of the East, setting the Celtics up for you know a, a crazy success over the next five six years, like really holds you back in a way that I normally don't really think about, but in this case, I think is important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And Plus, I you know, like... Oh, go ahead. Every, every year going into the draft, this year is no different. You know, a couple months ago, I was like, oh my God, it's, this is the, the best draft class in years. And they say that every single year. And then five or six months after the draft, like, yeah, you know, it wasn't that great. Although this past one was really good. Um, so... I have no idea what next year's draft class is supposed to be. Maybe it'll be better. Maybe it'll be worse. I don't think anybody really knows. But it's a known right now that at least people expect this draft class to be really, really good. And I don't want to give up. Because, you know, some years, number two or three turns out to be a complete bust. Which you're looking for. Uh, so, but I think everyone, you know, everyone who's smarter than me about it seems to think that that's not going to happen this year. And who knows about next year? So that's how I see it. I think because we do this every year, and this is the first time that we've... uh, I say every year. I think we've had one draft lottery since we started doing this podcast a year and a half ago. Uh, But Mm -hmm. last year, we did the simulation. And I feel like we, uh, for old time's sake, should hit the sim button on Tankathon one time and just see what happens. Okay. Feel free to lie to me if I'm not going to like how it works out. I'm going to do this right now, and this could go really wrong. Um, We're doing this live. Uh, gonna hit it right now. Okay, Sixers stayed at ten. Uh, okay, I'm, and I feel good about that. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks got the one pick. The Suns dropped a spot from one down to two, and 
the uh, Hawks picked up the three pick with Lloyd Pierce getting uh, Jaron Jackson yeah. probably in that in that uh, to start his rebuild down there. Plus, I do think it's just like good for the NBA if one, two, and three go to actual bad teams. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we would be like the Cavs getting it, you know, a few years ago when they didn't, they clearly didn't need it and were like probably going to sign LeBron that summer anyway. Um, right. Now, now we're probably going to sign LeBron this summer anyway. See? Exactly. So do we move at this point on to player grades, you think? I think we do. Okay. So we're going to go player by player and kind of talk about the season they had. Um, we'll kind of go roughly in order of minutes, total minutes played on the year. Um, although by the end, I think we're more just, we're, we'll, we'll talk about the guys who have a, actually have a chance of coming back um, first and the guys who don't probably after that. Um, but then we'll, I think we'll kind of transition from that into probably a discussion about like, what we see this summer looking like, what we think they need, who of of the ancillary kind of guys, the Bellinelli's, the Ilyasovas, Redick, like who we think's coming back. Um, mm-hmm. But let's start with Ben Simmons. Um, yeah, I think that's a good place to start. If I'm giving a grade, um, I think I have to I have to give an A plus, right? Like just based on what you expected. And I think our grades, at least the way I did my grades, was kind of based on my expectations coming into the year. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so Dario Saric, for example, isn't graded on the same scale that Ben Simmons is. But for Ben Simmons, right. like what I was expecting after missing a year, um, transitioning to point guard, you know, I, I think he had as good a season as they possibly could have hoped for. Um, on the year, he averaged about 16, 8, and 8. Um, pretty decent efficiency, really limited turnovers by the end of the year. Like the last. Since the All Star break, he was averaging 15, 10, and 9 uh, with just three turnovers, shooting almost 60%. Um, I think the thing that impressed me most was that he was probably the Sixers' best defensive player other than Embiid. And arguably, yeah. arguably he was more consistent than Embiid. Like, he, mm-hmm. just from an advanced, advanced stats standpoint, like he had the best defensive box plus minus. He just created a lot of turnovers and just like looked the part defensively. Um, but yeah, for me, for me, he was as good as better than advertised and as good as I possibly could have expected. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't go as high as an A plus just because for me, that is like a perfect flawless season. And if, you know, if he was consistently hitting like even like 16 footers then it's a hundred percent an A plus, but I go with an A, uh, just purely because like you said, like we, we weren't really fully sure coming in what our expectations even should be for Ben Simmons. And it was pretty clear coming into the year that he was the team's second most important player. But I think you could make the argument, and it would be an argument, but you could make the argument that he surpassed Embiid in that role. Um, I think I'd probably still go with Embiid, but you could probably, you know, you could you could stand your ground in that argument and, and make some good points. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, for the second half of the year, like you said, he almost averaged triple-double. He just played the defensive thing was blowing our minds too because there was all that nonsense about him not wanting to try on defense not really having a motor and not really having the skills to do it um and he was just immediately impactful uh he he found you know passing lanes and stuff that we didn't like that most players don't and that's something really expected from him uh but his finishing at the rim was great uh, his him playing defense on guys who are smaller and faster than him was just absolutely fantastic. 
And, you know, there were mental lapses and there were, they were short slumps and stuff like that, but he was 21 years old. Um, so yeah, I think I just have to go with, I can't quite go with an A plus, but it's, it's a solid A. Yeah. And I think, I think part of me, when I was thinking about the grade, I was like tempered a little bit by, um, recency and it, it, to the negative. Like I was, I was tempered by, um, the Celtics series, I think. Um, but then mm-hmm. I, I just thought back to like, as I was like researching more about his, I was just like looking at different stretches of the year, looking at what he did after the all-star break and during like the, their best win streaks. Um, and just like had to step away, step back and just go like, man, he was really good this season. I think we got really used to it after, yeah. at a certain point and like definitely focused on some of the flaws that he'll need to fix. Like I think outside the jumper, I really look at like he just wasn't aggressive um, mm-hmm. in the Celtics series. And that's kind of how he started the season, like not trying to get to the rim, almost like avoiding going to the line. Um you know, he shot 56% on the year from the line, which is, like, definitely going to have to improve. I think that's, like, more important than the jump shot to me mm-hmm. is just him being a better finisher inside and, like, actually being able to hit hit free throws when he gets there. Um, but I think when I just took a step back, I was like, man, I did not expect – I did not expect him to be that good that fast, and I definitely didn't expect him to, like, have the kind of load that he did playing point guard. Like, he basically exclusively played point guard – all but one game he played this season. He played 81 games, averaged like 34 minutes a game exclusively at the point guard spot and was as good as he was as a rookie. I was just, I was impressed by that. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. Um, moving on to Covington. This is like an interesting one. Um, mm-hmm. So Robert Covington, um, again, played 80 games this year. Um, all starts until uh, the playoffs until the Celtics series, uh, and that's that's regular season games. He played 80. Um, 32 minutes a game um, was a – started the year super hot, um, was yeah. shooting like mid-40s from three early in the year, and then uh, really when the Sixers were playing their best basketball was kind of at his worst. Like I, I, in the new year, he shot like around 35% from three, um, and at times was just like couldn't – would go weeks seemingly without hitting a shot. And the playoffs right. were like that, the Celtics series especially. And um, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know what to think. I, I think I've uh, – I think my opinion of, of Robert Covington has changed a lot. Like I just keep expecting him to find consistency and just become a better – like a more reliable player as he gets more experience and becomes more of a veteran. It's like – He's 28 next year, and he yeah. it feels like he's 23. Like, he just makes so many right. mistakes. He is so streaky. Um, he was bad defensively in the in the Celtics series, like really bad. He was. And I just I just don't understand it. And I just think if you, and you're taking this next step and trying to be a team that's going to compete for a championship next season, like is, is what you're hoping for, I don't know if you can rely on him as – a 32 minute per game starter if he's playing like this if he's if he's just unreliable the way he is so what's your what's your letter grade oh yeah um my letter grade is uh let me pull it up i had a c minus i just expected yeah. i mean statistically he had a good season like um he basically was on pace for uh like points and rebounds as previous years his defensive box plus minus was his best uh it was a career high um I think he was only like third or fourth on the team, though, um, with Simmons number one. And he shot 37% from three on seven attempts a game, which 
you know, if you're just looking at that, it's at basically as good as his first season with the Sixers when he was a three-point specialist, and that was basically it. Um, and way better than the last couple of years when he's really struggled from three. But I think it's just like mm-hmm. it didn't feel like 37%. It was not a good yeah. 37%. Like it was 45% for a third of the year and then like 31% the rest of the time it felt like. Um, right. And I'd much rather have a guy who hits 35% consistently than someone who will hit 45% for a few months and then can't hit anything for a month at a time. Right. Yeah, I have him at a C. Um, basically for the same reasons you said, uh, the, the beginning of the year, like it was just insane how many shots he was hitting and you knew that wasn't, you knew that was going to level off and and come back to the norm, but, and I mean, it kind of did because, you know, he's basically like a career 36% three point shooter. So really did kind of go back to the, to the average, but for her, I mean, it just didn't, like you said, it was just like not a great 37% and on seven attempts a game. Which I think is probably his highest. He actually shot a little bit. He actually amazingly shot more um, his first year with the team. He shot like 7.2 or something. Sure. So, like, yeah, you know, if 37% on seven attempts is really not all that bad. But like you said, it was an ugly 37. For a good chunk of the year, it felt like he was sub 30. Um, The good thing is they, they gave him that extension. Which, if he's, he's got to step up his game to actually play up to that extension. But I think because of the, the way they balanced it out this year, sometimes, you know, I have people say to me, they're like, oh, Covington's not, you know, he's not a $17 million a year player. I'm like, yeah, you're exactly right. He's not. He's a $12 million a year player <laughs> because of the way they structure the contract. Because, like, you know, the next year he's making 10.5, then yeah. 11.3, 12.1, 12.9. So like those in you know in this NBA those are low numbers, um, and that you know that doesn't affect the grade of him at all. But I think he's yeah he's certainly not a fifteen to eighteen million dollar a year player. You, you you hope he does play up to that with while only getting paid eleven or twelve. But even paying him twelve, he still has to play better to actually make up for that production. Yeah, I mean t- ten eleven million dollars buys you. 27 18 or 2017 18 Robert Covington the Covington you just saw who we just gave the C minus to the question is is he going to become more consistent and be a bargain contract to be when he signed the extension it was kind of at the the height of his season he was shooting like 44 percent from three his defense was great it was before he hurt his back and that kind of like fucked up his whole season it felt like but yeah um you know it if he's that guy, then it's like, wow, the Sixers, this is the Sixers bargain contract that helps them like contend um, while giving money to other guys and like just relying on, okay, here's your like starting small forward for the next four years at not very much money. Right. There's a chance. So if he's just what he is now, it's like, okay, that's like fine. He's making 10 and a half, 11 million dollars. That's like what you'd expect for that. And um, it won't kill them. Like it's not a bad contract, but it might not be a good contract, which is what we thought it was before. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you might be getting your val- your your money's worth. There. Yeah, and I also think I I think low key he's like pretty expendable right now. Um, depending on what you do in in free agency, uh, you know, certainly if they bring in LeBron, Paul George is in the mix. If you traded for Kawhi, like all those guys take Covington's minutes immediately. And yeah, and I think his contract makes him expendable because it is a team friendly deal. It is, and I think I think it's. Uh, Covington seems like the perfect kind of guy, like a Jay Crowder or, um, 
you know, one of those guys who is uh, like a glue guy on a good team who is making decent money, who you can kind of package, you know, say they're going to trade for Kawhi. It's like he seems like the perfect kind of guy you package with whoever else or whatever picks are giving up. Um, and he is like the good right now piece in that in that trade right. who on like a bargain deal. He's like the Patrick Beverly yep. in the trade. Um, so to, to me, I, I think it depends on what happens in free agency. If they go out and they get I've, any of those three guys, I think Covington becomes um, – becomes an easy guy to trade and you're going to need depth in other areas. And at that point, like why wouldn't you trade cash him in and, and try to get help somewhere else? Uh, and mm-hmm. I think it also helps that you have Dario Saric, who's like become a, a really legitimate outside shooter and you don't really need Covington's shooting as much as you did before when he was the only guy who could hit a shot. Right. Exactly. Um, speaking of Dario, we're going to move on to him. Um, he was really great this season. And it's yeah. funny because you look at his numbers, and they're almost identical to his numbers the year before. Um, per, your his per game numbers. His per game numbers are basically identical, but his efficiency was so much better. Um, yep. He went from shooting. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but um, you know, he went from shooting. I think it was like thirty three percent from three last year to mm-hmm. just over thirty nine percent on the year, and like mid 40s like basically in 2018 like he was unbelievable yeah. uh after the new year and like when the when the Sixers really hit their stride and, and on many more attempts and and on a lot more attempts and and I think I expected I expected it to fall off at some point and it never really did and it yeah. still doesn't look great like he just is he has a kind of flat shot and um it's like a little hitchy but it it works and if it's going to work for a full season like that at a pretty high clip and in the playoffs and way more consistent than like, like he shot 2% better or yeah, 2% better than Covington, but it felt like 10% because every game right. he was hitting, you know, two of five, three of five, uh, three of six. Like it just felt more. He never had like very rarely did he have like an O for seven night. Covington would have like O for 11 nights and then he, mm-hmm. and then he'd go five for seven the next night. Um, right. Yeah. Dario is unbelievable. He, he's, uh, He's 24. He still has um, two more years, including next year, on his rookie scale deal, making like two and a half, three and a half million dollars. I think mm-hmm. he is like very important in these next two seasons to the Sixers contending, ma- hardly making any money, and either starting at power forward for them and giving them shooting um, and a secondary ball handler and like just, yeah. you know, kind of the scrappy whatever play they need, yeah. or just coming off the bench and kind of leading that bench unit. It's crazy. I, I'm giving him an A for the year. Oh, yeah. I didn't um, give him a grade, an A also. Yeah. It is insane to me that you could have told me, like, last year, like, hey, at the end of this year, you might think it's possible for Dario to be, like, a 50-40-90 guy, which is nuts. I mean, he's still the furthest way on field goal, but if he, he keeps, you know, I can see him in two years shooting 50% from the field, 40 from three, and 90 from the line. He basically, for a good he basically year did again, that at the end of the year. Yeah, at the end of the year, yeah. I mean, it, you know, his 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 season number on the free throws was 86. But I think from, like, Christmas on, which is when he kind of really started turning on the three-point shooting as well, he was shooting, like, 91. Um, his field goal percentage is still not, you know, phenomenal, but it's improved from last year, especially because not only did he improve shooting from the three three range, but he also improved finishing at the rim. Uh, still doesn't get a ton of calls, but I think that's part of 
partly because of his play style. Um, but now that he's maybe getting a little more known around the league, maybe I'll start getting a little bit more calls. Um, but yeah, I mean, his versatility is just truly astounding because it's like they were, he was asked, like, okay, Dario, you know, you're gonna want to, we're gonna want you to shoot more threes this year. I'm like, maybe you work on that show. He's like, okay, and just does it. And then, you know, come time in the playoffs where he doesn't feel like his shot's falling that well, but he's getting buckets inside. He just starts playing inside and he just attempts one three a game. Like, he's just, he's such a smart player, his basketball IQ, and that comes from, you know, essentially playing pro since he was 15 years old. Um, and again, you know, we said about Covington, and this is a bummer because I do think Sharich uh, is right now is and will continue to be a better player than Covington. Um, but I think he's expendable as well. I think in the team yeah. size, I think he is too. I think he's expendable in. Um, I don't think like Covington that if you go out and sign LeBron or you get Paul George, I don't think you then like okay we're going to trade Dario because we need some help somewhere else. Just mostly because right. of his contract, I think Covington is more is that guy who you like. You maybe go okay we don't really need the minutes at that position anymore, and we can package him with. Whoever you know, or just or just trade him straight up and get ten million dollars in salary back, like because Sarge is only making two and a half next year and is such a bargain. I I, mm-hmm. I don't think he's that guy, but I could see him in like a Kawhi trade or if there's right. some other player like Clay Thompson or you know some star. Like he is he is one of the pieces you would have to throw into that deal, and I think that's okay if it's yeah. if it's for that guy. I think it's fine. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, like you said, he's got two more years in his deal, and because of where he was drafted, two and a half next year, three and a half a year after that, and then he's restricted. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I just, I think, I don't, I honestly don't know if enough can be said about how much Dario has improved his game and how much he's modified his game to fit the team he plays for. It's just truly impressive. It's, it's really crazy. When you were saying that, I was thinking, too, about, like, when he was with the uh, his Croatian team back when he got drafted, like his role for that team was so different that even then his role now, but then his role at FS, he was like, basically they played him like he was Trevor Booker. Like he just like rebounded yeah. and hit mid range jumpers and stuff. And like occasionally had a nice pass. Like now they have, now they're really using him as like a, a more like Nikola Miritich or something. And it's working. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It does make me feel like, you know, his ceiling might be a little bit higher than we think, even though he is painfully unathletic um, yeah. and gets blocked at the rim more than anything I've ever seen. I mean, more than like Evan Turner, who used to get blocked so much at the rim. Uh, yeah. Sharks is like, if he doesn't make the basket, he is getting blocked at the rim or fouled and it's not getting called. That's right. If he can like learn how to draw fouls a little bit better, because he's an 86% shooter, probably more like an almost 90% shooter next mm-hmm. season, you hope. Um he only he took under three attempts a game from the line. Uh, I'd like to see that improve. Like that's definitely an area for a guy scoring fifteen points a game. He should not be going to the line two and a half times a game, right? Um, but that that to me also feels like I watch the games and it does seem like he just gets kind of bullied. And I think you just assume that if he um, if there's some contact and he you know some contact and he doesn't finish in traffic, that's because he's getting three inches off the ground. But I do think he gets fouled a lot and doesn't get called. But I think he yeah, can probably I think, learn I think, how to like sell that a little bit better, or like draw contact yeah. instead of just hoping, you know, trying to finesse it and missing. Right. When someone who's really graceful and athletic goes to the rim and then halfway up their body contorts in the air, you're like, oh, well, they were ob- there was obviously some contact somewhere. 
but Dario's body's just constantly contorting in the air anyway, so referees don't know when he's just being Dario or when he's being fouled. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, let's move on to JJ Redick, who um, I guess I'll give my grade on the front end. I, I gave him an A minus. I think he was. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a great season. Honestly, he was Fantastic like very, season. very underrated. I, I almost wanted to give him an A or an A plus, just because I like, don't know what more I really could have expected from him. Um, right. You know, I just think he's really been overlooked to this point as a guy who really was a, a huge part of why the Sixers were as good as they were this season. Like, he scored yeah. 17 a game, um, averaged three assists a game. Like, he was actually like a pretty decent. Like, they put him in pick and roll sometimes. He would oftentimes he'd shoot from out of there, but um, he'd have some nice dump offs to Embiid. Um, just like played well within the offense. Shot 42% from three on like six and a half attempts. Um, actually was like a better finisher inside than I thought he'd be. Like mm-hmm. he had more to his game than just spot up shooting. He like would put the ball on the floor a lot and actually like finish in traffic. He turns 34 this summer. Um, and I want him back, but it, I think it really depends on, it's totally dependent on what else they do this summer. But if, if they strike out in free agency, I, I want him to come back on some sort of deal. Um, and even if they sign LeBron, I would love it if they could bring him back on a ring chaser kind of, you know, like mid-level exception type deal. I don't know yeah. if that'll happen. Also, I don't know who's going to throw a bunch of money at him this summer, especially with teams are being a little bit more frugal, a little bit more judicious with their spending, and not as many teams have cap space right now, and the cap's not exploding like it was in the past. So right. I don't know how much, like for a guy who turns 34 over the offseason, like, who's throwing all that much money at him anyway. So maybe right. he, maybe they're able to kind of snatch him back on like a two-year, $12 million deal or something if they if they go out and they get someone else. I mean, I could. I, mean, I think they're probably going to have to pay him more than that. But I, ha- I mean, I have him at a, an A-minus as well because I think like you said too, like I, he would have been an A, if, but my expectations were already pretty high for him. And he met them and exceeded them. But the thing about him turning 34, like, yeah, he's turning 34, but like he's in exceptional shape. And other than, like, a couple of games of back tightness, he really didn't miss much um, over the year. And, like, he really kind of didn't, like, it didn't throw him out of a rhythm. He wasn't getting gassed. He's truly just in phenomenal shape. Like, he's in better shape than I've ever been in my entire life and ever will be in my entire life, and he's 34 years old. Uh, So, yeah, I think he's definitely... um, a part of he's definitely welcome back to this team and I think uh, Brian Colangelo will probably tell you the same thing it just all depends on what it's going to cost and what the rest of the team looks like because the whole thing about his 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 decision last year right was that he wanted to play for a team where he like liked it there and stuff like that but he also wanted to be close to his family now his family's in Brooklyn he could go to the Knicks or the Nets if they want to give him a ton of money. And he decides, like, all right, maybe it's my last year or two. And I want to be a lot closer to my family. But if, I have a hard time believing after all that, unless he picks up and moves his family, that he's going to be like, all right, well, I'm going to go to Houston. You know? Or yeah. like, oh, I'm going to go to San Antonio. That just doesn't seem like... And if it does happen, like, yeah, good. I mean, you know, I, I hope he's has a great situation there, but it just seems unlikely. I, I agree. I think I think he probably sticks around. Um, I think he wants to come back. 
And that's part of why I think you might be able to get him on a cheaper deal. Now, if they strike out in free agency and they don't get any of those big guys, I don't think he's going to take a bargain deal to, to stay with you. Um, because why would he? I mean, maybe he'll take a slightly smaller deal. Like maybe you get him for 12 a year instead of 15 a year, 14 a year. Uh, but I don't think you're getting him. When I said that two-year $12 million deal, I was kind of imagining like if you get Kawhi or LeBron and he wants to come back and like fit into that, just because of cap considerations, what you're going to have to spend, like maybe you're able to do that with him and, and he'll be like, okay, I get to stay near Brooklyn and play with this great player and compete for a championship the next couple of years. Um, that said, I, I don't see a lot of, I guess the, the only real uh, circumstances of which I, I see the Sixers just kind of be like, oh, thanks, thanks for your year, but we don't really want you back is if they're able to um, bring in LeBron or Paul George or whatever, and it basically eats up all their money, and they don't, and they're right. they're not able to do any finagling to to free up any space, and um, you know he wants more than just like the room exemption or something that they have. So, yeah, you know, then that's definitely possible. But I think otherwise he'll probably be back. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I certainly hope so. All right, Joel Embiid. Um, I gave Embiid an A. I th- he was hard to grade for me because yeah. he had a great season. I mean, he put up 23-11-3. and um, It was a pretty efficient doing so. He turned the ball over a lot, just like last season. Um, wasn't quite as impactful defensively as he was as a rookie, although I, I kind of liked that. I liked that he wasn't... Um, he wasn't as aggressive as he was last year and as reckless as he was last year. And I thought that was, yeah, a, I think, that was I a fair trade-off to me. He played a little smarter on yeah, defense. Yeah, and I think yeah. I think he made fewer plays. I think by the end of the year, in the playoffs especially, the playoffs I feel like looked more like rookie year Embiid where he was going and just swatting people's shots off the backboard. and um, He wasn't really doing that as much. I think he was conserving energy. I think he was trying not to get hurt. A little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he's he's still kind of reckless sometimes, but I think he was like not doing as much, diving to the ground as often and all that um, out of bounds. You know, I think I think he was just a little bit smarter, and I think part of it too is that he was playing a lot of minutes. I mean, he averaged over thirty minutes a game this season, and neither of us expected that. And it's part of why I think I, I picked an A grade, even though um, in a lot of ways he. Uh, was very similar to his rookie year. He didn't imp- like change a lot. He was a better rebounder. His passing improved, but he was worse from the three point line. Um, he seemed to be. He seemed to struggle in the post a little bit more this season, or maybe it felt that way. Um, there weren't as many like like wow moments from him um, in, in terms of post play as I feel like there were his rookie year and what I expected with uh, you know coming into his second season, but. You know, I think for me it was like the fact that he played 63 games and, and probably would have played about 70 had he not broken that orbital orbital bone, which was like a pretty freak thing. Um, basically, was off minutes restriction like a month into the season, and was great. I mean, was like very, very, very good throughout the year. I think I just had to give him an A, and um, I'm really excited, you know, going into this this next season because it's the first time since college basically that he's finished a season on the floor and not, you know, in the trainer's room and then gone into a summer and not just having to like rehab and hope he's back for training camp. Like this is like a, a opportunity for him to take the next four months and build on his game and, you know, 
get his body right and his conditioning right and all that. So I'm I'm really excited for next season. I think that'll be a bigger jump than year one. Yeah, I think uh, I have him in a B plus. Uh, on playing time alone, I would have I, I give him an a a plus because I mean I don't think sixty three games, thirty minutes a game like that would I would have you know jumped for joy before the year started if you told me he was going to play that. Um, and who knows how, you know, the playoffs would have gone out and how the year would have ended had he not, you know, had, like he said, like shattered his face on a freak thing. Um, but I, I kind of, you know, the expectations were really high for me, for, for, for me, for him. And he came up short in a couple of ways. And I think you touched on most of them, but um, he, he does kind of seem a little bit lost sometimes when he's in the post, when he starts to go to work a little bit and then either... I think he might just kind of make up, like make his mind up, like all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot this jumper instead of going at someone. And when I think, and, and I understand like wanting to establish that jumper, and, and he does make them a good amount, but I do think sometimes he should just like throw his shoulder into a dude and just really take him down low. And the fact that he just his three point shooting became essentially a non factor this year. Um, and I think it's something he'll work on in the off season. And, and you know, at the very least, even if he can't make them at a much higher clip, at least take them fewer. Uh, but yeah, I mean that that was a little bit disappointing for me is how that shot kind of just fell off. I think he ended like thirty percent ish, thirty point eight percent. But it seemed like for a good part of the year he was at like twenty six, twenty seven, um, and that's just you know you can't have somebody taking that many shots. You can't have somebody taking three and a half attempts a game uh, if they're not going to be hitting even thirty one percent of them. So that's that's why he's not in the A uh, class for me. Yeah, I, I think for me, I, I at the risk of of being like the. Uh, the big man shouldn't shoot threes guy. Um, I, I'm kind of feeling like that really needs to, he needs to ramp that down. Like you said, he's taken three and a half attempts a game, shot 31%. Last year, I think he shot like 36 and a half, 37%, um, which is good. That's really good. And if he's hitting that, fine. But I think he's realistically more like a 34% three-point shooter. He's somewhere in between mm-hmm. these two seasons. And... Um, you know, I took a look, and so he shot 73% at the rim this year, which is excellent. Um, he shot 43% on his mid-range shots and 31% from deep. And, you know, obviously you look at, like, statistically, that 31% from deep is superior to the 43% from mid-range. But what I felt like happened a lot for Embiid was when he's doing that trail three or um, kind of floating out off a pick and pop and he, and he takes that um, – that 31%, like, it's great. He's hitting it a third of the time. It's a, you know, a little less than a point per possession when you do that. But it created a lot of, like, long rebound that turned right. into fast breaks. Um, very rarely did it turn into a, a an offensive rebound. It was when it, when, it, when it went in, it went in, and when it didn't, it was the other team's ball. And you you didn't create any, like, foul opportunities from that. You couldn't. Like, I look at his mid-range, and 43% of mid-range is, like, an objectively inefficient shot. But he would get yeah. fouled on that a lot. Like, he would do the rip-through move and get to the line. Um, I, I would need to look at, like, synergy, which I don't have access to, uh, to see, like, what kind of points per possession they were scoring when he would get the ball there. If you include, like, passing out of that position and also uh, drawing fouls or pumping and driving, like... I think that mid-range position for him, that like 15 to 18 footer, um, and he's also become better at that. I think that shot for him or that range is like just a better place for him to be. Like more more good things yeah. can happen. There were a lot of times where like he'd be there, you know, he'd face up, 
And first off, he can drive and actually score that way. And he's, he's better right now as a face-up player than a post player. But he would do that. He'd turn and, like, Ben Simmons would post up and he'd just toss in the ball and he'd lay it in. Or, you know, Dario would drive or Reddick would come around a curl and he'd pass in the ball and he'd hit a three. Like, I just feel like there's more happening out of that position when they get him the ball there um, that makes me okay with him sometimes settling for that jumper from 17 feet and making it 40% of the time or 43% of the time versus, like, the thirty low 30% from three, which is, like, seems to hurt them more yeah, than Yeah, I agree. And when he puts his back to the basket and starts going to work on somebody, you know, a lot of times he'll send help over from the blind side, which doesn't he's not still super great at recognizing. But when he turns his back and goes to the post, most of the players on the team, on the, on the defense, can kind of be like, all right, well, he's in the post. I can focus on my guy. But if he's facing up and he's pump faking and taking, like, some jab steps and you know what he can do when he has, you know, actually good speed for a man his size – then there's a lot more ball watching going on in the defensive side a lot of the time, which allows those cuts and curls and stuff to happen. So, yeah, I do think that's a better place for him to be generally. Yeah. Um, moving on, TJ McConnell. Uh, I gave TJ McConnell mm-hmm. a B minus, and, and that was based mostly. I mean, I, obviously he came on so hot at the end of the year and in, in the playoffs, but you know, just looking at the season as a whole. I think it was a little disappointing. He um, was really up and down, and, and you know, by the end of the year, he just by the end of the regular season, he was not a big part of the rotation and um, kind of fell in and out uh, in terms of minutes. Like he played seventy six games, averaged twenty two and a half minutes per game, and it just felt like not. I don't know. There were times where there were times where I think he. Um, he was exactly what they needed as a backup for Ben. Um, and he was that guy more like what he was in the Celtics series where he was just a spark. And a lot of other times it just felt like he wasn't really giving yeah. me anything. And that's why I guess I gave him a B minus. It's interesting with him because he has one more year on his deal. He's going into like year four of the Hanky special. Um, and they, they're about to pick up his option, it seems like, which obviously they'll, they'll do. Uh, for 1.6 million this year, and then he's unrestricted the year after. And I think it's interesting because you know you have Markel Fultz on this team, and assuming he's here next year and not part of a bigger deal, like I just don't really know what you see TJ's role being if if you're going to keep Fultz around and you're still committed to Simmons at power or at point guard, especially if you go out and you get another ball handler like LeBron or even like Kawhi or Paul George will have the ball in their hands a lot. Like, I don't really know what you're doing with TJ at that point. Yeah, I'm the same. I think, I, I mean, I give McConnell a B um, just because, I mean, my, my expectations for him, honestly, were so low in the beginning of the year. So, I mean, maybe he should honestly be getting an A. Uh, but uh, there were times in the season where he just looked completely lost. But, I mean, coming into the year with, you know, Ben Simmons having been months and months and months of talk about Ben Simmons is a point guard, not a power forward. He's a point guard. So you have that, you trade up for Markel Fultz, uh, who, you know, we thought would be fantastic coming into the season. I just didn't know, and I'm pretty sure we probably had this conversation. I didn't know where the minutes were for him. I didn't know how he was going to crack the rotation with that with that being the case. You know, with Fultz going through what Fultz went through, uh, he stepped in to the, the backup point guard role, played pretty good in that role for a good chunk of the year. There was times in the second half of the season where he looked like, you would expect, you know, undrafted free agent TJ McConnell to look. But he gave you that playoff game, which was incredible. He gave you his 
Triple Double, which was probably the most fun game watching experience from my couch this year, um, was that game. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the future for TJ is. I mean, he's super cheap uh, currently. Um, but, you know, if Fultz comes back as Markel Fultz over the summer, if any kind of anybody else is brought in who has ball handling ability, like, I don't know um, what TJ's role is. Although I've been saying this now for two years and he's come in and proved me wrong. So, B. That's where I'll land. Yeah, and I, I think there's a chance that um, Fultz has moved in a deal for a star player. And, like, I don't think yeah. it's a good chance. I think he probably stays. But if he is, I think. TJ McConnell makes a lot of sense as a backup for Ben Simmons. Like, you know, I think ideally uh, his role is that like 13, 14, 15, 16 minutes a game backing up Ben Simmons exclusively playing point guard only when he's off the floor guy. And if you have Fultz, yeah. you just don't want that because you want Fultz to get some of those minutes. And um, even though you anticipate Fultz and Simmons on the floor together, a lot you, you you want when when Simmons is off the floor you like that Fultz out there so I think if Fultz is gone I think TJ McConnell makes a lot of sense as just like a traditional just manage the game backup point guard um, but, we'll, but we'll see right. what happens yeah. to Fultz I guess mm-hmm. and speaking of Fultz let's go yeah. to him next uh I mean it's is a cop-out I mean it's, it's an incomplete right like there's no, there's not a real yeah. way to grade his season I mean objectively it was an f right like you know you have a guy come in as the number it was a d minus he had a triple double i guess that lifts him from an f to a D that's gives it gives that makes you a d minus instead of an f is that one triple double absolutely um i wish my expectations could be so high that i could put up a triple double in (laughs) in the nba and have a d minus season but yeah but yeah i mean yeah i think it's more of an incomplete yeah he played 14 games 18 minutes a game he missed Basically the whole year, uh, almost the entire season with, I guess, a shoulder injury. Like it's still, they're still calling it that. Like even in the X interviews with, with Brett Brown and, and um, Brian Colangelo, they referred to it as, it was very like Sarah Huckabee Sanders-ish. And I, I think it was Brian Colangelo or maybe it was Brett Brown. I can't remember. I remember reading the quote where they were asked like a lot of specific questions about faults and uh, the response was sort of like, we've been very clear on this. Like, he suffered a shoulder injury. It's like, no, you have not been very clear on this. Like, in the opposite like, of clear sure, on yes, this. you've, like, said these things in the past, but you've also said other stuff, and that also, like, you haven't told us, like, exactly what, like, how did he get the so- shoulder injury? Like, what caused it? Um, the best answer, if we're to believe it's a shoulder injury we have, is that he just randomly, over time, started feeling some imbalance or discomfort in the shoulder, and then j- jacked up his shot in order to try to, like, make it work with the, the pain and then it didn't, couldn't go back. But, you know, other than that one, uh, John Johnson tweet from late in the Celtics series, I think it was right before game five. Um, there was a video of him taking a three that looked really normal. Um, now you couldn't see his mm-hmm. legs. It was like, right. It was a closed in shot, but the release looked normal. And it's the only time we've seen him take a normal-looking three-point shot since not even last summer league. Even last summer league, when you go back with hindsight, you can tell. And I remember thinking this last summer, his shot looks a little weird. Like, did it always look like this? Was it always this, like, kind of jerky, like, herky-jerky? And it was working for him in summer league. Um, but I think that was kind of the beginning of it changing, was you could even see the effects yeah. then. Um, 
but this is the first time we've seen him do something normal, normal-ish since summer league. That scares me that like he missed all this time, whether it's an injury, whether it's like he just had like the yips or whatever you want, like whatever you want to call that. It still hasn't. Compl- it's not like oh, it's cured now. He's back. Like he's still not really back, which is scary. No, this is a huge. This is a huge, huge it's summer. A huge for summer him. for him. I mean, he's nineteen. He turns twenty this summer. Uh, there's a lot of pressure. There's gonna be a lot of pressure on him. I think he remarkably spent the entire season having hardly any pressure on him for a number one overall pick, not playing at all on a good team that like trying to actually do things this summer or this season. I mean. Um, was able to really avoid having any expectations, but I think that goes away if he play, say he plays summer league this summer, or even if they're just videos of him working out and it doesn't look right, his shot doesn't look right. People are gonna flip fast, rightfully so. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah, I, I just like it's it. I want to say incomplete, give it a D minus, not quite an F, because um, it's like it's like. It's like giving an F on a test because the person left most of the questions blank. It's like, yeah, technically it's an F, but you can come back and try again. <laughs> Maybe you won't get an F, so we'll have to see. I, I, I'm very that's that's gonna be the biggest storyline of the offseason for sure. Other than free agents. Other than things. the Sixers signing LeBron. Of course, yeah, yeah obviously. Um, let's let's move on. We don't really have much to say about Marco Fultz. Uh Timothy Luwawu Cabarro. F. Um yeah, I gave him like a D minus. F. Yeah, probably an F, honestly. He played 52 games, 15 and a half minutes. So he actually played like a decent role, although he was basically got hurt and was slashed benched like the last third of the season. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was really disappointing. Like he shot 37.5% from the floor. Completely regressed. He had the, worst bo- the worst box plus minus on the team um, of anyone who played like. Re- real minutes uh he regressed he didn't look good defensively he there were like no flashes of what you saw in april remember he finished april last year averaging like 18 5 and 4 yeah. and you were like wow maybe he'll like have a nice summer and come in next none of none. that like it all went away and looked worse than he did almost as a as a rookie um and i think i'm pretty pretty much soured on his future here yeah he'll probably be back because he's you know, on a rookie deal, right. making a million and a half. But um, certainly if the Sixers need to shed money or shed players to, to um, do something in a trade or, or free agency, like he's he's definitely not – he's definitely expendable. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know how much more you have to say than that. I mean, that's kind of it. Uh, I'll say F one more time. Yeah. F. Um, this pains me, this next one. Rashawn Holmes. Um, I gave Rashawn Holmes a D plus. Mm. I think that was generous. Yeah, I had him a D minus. Um, yeah, he just he just didn't get I mean it was it was kind of the same as TLC. He just didn't get any better. He was like yeah. exactly the same player he was as a rookie or what he was last season. He's a little bit older than TLC. He turns twenty five next season. TLC is twenty two, turning twenty three soon. Yeah. Um but he's 25. He hasn't really gotten any better. Um, he's still out of position all the time and still just goes for big blocks. The very the best thing you can say is he's a good rebounder offensively. He is able to block shots. He's like a high-energy guy. Yeah. Um, 
flashes some pretty decent stuff. Like he's a good passer. Um, he dunks over people. He finishes around the rim for the most part. Like he's just he just feels like one of those guys, like those Anthony Randolph kind of players. And he is nowhere near like that level of high upside. But those guys that you just like, yeah, if he puts it together though, and he just he's never. I just don't think he's gonna put it together. No, I think this is what Rashawn Holmes is and will always be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's disappointing for me as the uh, Rashawn Holmes is better than Nerlens Noel. Although I still believe that. I still think he's better than Nerlens Noel because Nerlens Noel doesn't even play basketball. I mean, really, he's just like, that's like, I don't know. That's like saying one type of dirt tastes better than another type of dirt. It's like, yeah. who's really arguing this? Low-key, the Sixers have until uh, June 29th to pick up his option for next season at $1.6 million. Uh, the same hanky special that uh, that TJ McConnell signed, although they've they've already said they're going to pick up that option rightfully so for McConnell. I wouldn't be shocked if they don't pick up Rashawn Holmes's option. Yeah, um, that's and the thing is they have to do it before free agency, so they won't know who they're getting. Right, uh, unless they make a trade on draft night to get Kawhi, or like unless you have a better sense of what's happening by that point. But uh, my guess is the Sixers themselves by June 29th, which is like three days before. Uh, free agency soft opens on july 1st mm-hmm. like they'll know who they're gonna get and not get right and not only um, that and i it's even that all that aside you're, you're just talking strictly for money and that's you know his his it's it's pocket change basically um but when it comes to like replacing him on the roster i find it very hard to believe that you can't find someone equal or better at that 26 pick right is it 26 mm-hmm, 26 and also I would rather take the chance on Jonah Bolden. Yeah, Jonah Bolden. Jonah Bolden is is a better. He gives you a lot of what Rashawn Holmes says. Is that he's way better. He's a better shooter. But here's the thing: even if he's passer, even if he's, he's not, it's basically shots. a non-factor. Yeah. So it's just like just try him out. Let's see. Well, and the thing is, I, my hope is you go into next summer and you you've brought in a competent backup for Embiid. Whether that's bringing back Amir Johnson, who we'll talk about in a minute. Or that's signing someone. My my hope is probably to sign someone else, but um, I don't feel at all comfortable with Rashawn Holmes playing center minutes if Embiid gets hurt, or if they just need a backup for Embiid, or um, whatever whatever that looks like. If Embiid's backup gets hurt, like I just don't want Rashawn on the floor in a season where I'm hoping they win fifty plus games and compete for a championship. Yeah, agreed. Um, Furkan Korkmaz incomplete. I gave him an incomplete, and I think I felt better about giving him incomplete than Markel Fultz because we saw so much less of him. Like, we saw 14 games, yeah. uh, five and a half minutes per game, and they were basically all um, blowout minutes. I mean, put it this way. Even uh, even a, a completely healthy Furkan Korkmaz would probably still get an incomplete this year. So, Yeah. Um, he turns 21 next season. I thought he looked. I mean, he looked awesome in summer league last year. Uh, he showed some flashes. Um, there were some videos of him like warming up for games where he was just like would hit like 15 threes in a row, and just his form is so pure. And he's he's long and he's athletic. Like I I, I feel okay about him. I, I'm I'm obviously more confident because we've seen so much of TLC in Furcon versus TLC, um, and I, I think he'll stick around. I'd be surprised. He's first off his option for next year is picked up, and then he has a couple team options after that the following two years. But I think he'll be he'll be back next year, and I think he'll maybe even spend some time in the D League or the G League again. 
Um, but I think he'll be back unless he's included as a throw in, in a trade. Yeah, I agree. Um, Brian Colangelo also said that he added 20 pounds over the last year, which, uh, same. Yeah, same. Uh, Furcon. Same, buddy. Yeah. Uh, but he also, I thought it was funny. Colangelo also said they weren't all good pounds, right? <laughs> like, which I guess is fair if you're gaining 20 pounds, like, you're not going to gain 20 pounds of muscle in a year. That would be, um, Probably unhealthy. Especially when but, you put spend a good chunk of that year not being able to be put weight on your one foot. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we'll see. I mean, he was he was six. Let's say it like what six eight one eighty five. Yeah. This year, I mean, that's that's really he needs to put on like another twenty. I mean, he's got um, he's got like ten inches on me, and I that's about what I weigh. So. Um, Justin Anderson. I, I have uh, I gave Justin Anderson the, the go you give yours. I, 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 again, this is just a factor of my expectations for him being so incredibly low. I gave him a C. I gave him a C minus. Yeah. yeah. I think he I don't know what his percentages were, but like it seems like he hit some threes. I don't know, man. Uh he played tough when he was there. He was he was hurt for a while, so he's also pretty close to getting incomplete. He only played thirty eight games. Um he bothered Dwayne Wade in the playoffs, that's enough for me. <laughs> like He's he is what he is, and he is the guy. He seems honestly. I think part of it why it's bolstered up to a C two. He seems like a fantastic teammate. Um, he's number one like hyped bench guy, which I love. Um, and he just he's seems more. Yeah, he seems he seems to be like you know just super into like helping everybody out, which I'm I'm all for. Yeah, I like him, and I I, I something that um, to look out for is he's making two and a half million dollars next year in the final year of his rookie deal. They already ex- um, accepted his option, picked it up last fall um, at the deadline. They had to do that. So he's he's locked in at two and a half this year. Um, he is a guy that 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 extra million dollars that separates him and like TLC and Furcon, that might be the difference um, when they're looking to either create max space for LeBron or PG, or they're looking to once they've signed a guy, create a little bit of money so they can bring back someone like Redick or even like Ilyasova. Like I just I could see them um, trying to dump him somewhere. Yeah. Like on a team that's rebuilding. That's like yeah, we'll take Justin Anderson. Sure. Right. And yeah. Maybe like you just give him give him away for free. He's turned. He's only twenty three. Turns twenty four. Or he might be twenty four now, but he's twenty four next season. Um, Still young, and his three point shot did look decent this season. Um, and I think he did some, he did some good things. I wouldn't be, I, I'm more confident in Justin Anderson playing a role for the Sixers next year than I am TLC for sure. And 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 Furkan because Furkan's just so so raw still. But I probably think that Justin Anderson, if if they make any kind of splash in free agency, Justin Anderson's probably gone. Yeah. To, to free up some money. Speaking of freeing up money. Uh, Speaking of guys who will be gone to free up money, Jared fucking Bayless. Well, you hope you can get rid of him uh, and free up some money. Yeah. God damn, man. Uh, played 39 games last season. Um, 24 minutes per game in those in those 39 games. And then was benched for the last half of the year. At slash, like, injured, maybe? Yeah, I don't uh, know. He was wearing a suit jacket sometimes. We just, like, didn't even give it. No, like, the reporters didn't even give a shit <laughs> enough to, like, ask for an injury report on Jared Bayless. Yeah. They are just like, he's, like, in a... A cast of some sort like okay it's like oh he's got sure. a jacket on it's like he's listed on the injury report as kind of cold <laughs> yeah you just put the jacket on it's kind of cold he just can't play um dude's 30 years old and 
man, he's been such a disappointment. Yeah. Like, I don't know what. I mean, that deal that they signed him to was I, – I was upset at the time that it was a three-year deal instead of a two. And I think a lot of people said, like, they would have been willing to throw a little bit more money at him to make it a two-year deal right. um, than a three. And, you know, when they signed him, he was coming off a few nice seasons as as a, you know, scorer off the bench mm-hmm. and shooter and just come off his best three-point shooting season of his career, I think, with the Bucks And I don't know if it's injuries, me and the wrist injury that kept him out all of last yeah, it was year. Yeah, like it was like a thumb and, ligament thing on his shooting hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then this year just looks so off in so many ways. Like, I, I don't know if their injuries have just caught up with him or what, but he's just, like, unplayable. Yeah. And he did, he did get, like, five minutes of playoff burn which i thought was so funny and he forgot for to like pack his headband yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is so funny yeah he didn't, he didn't even like bring a headband with him to to uh boston for the game yeah but yeah he's making eight and a half million dollars next year and uh then he's a restricted free or he's an unrestricted free agent after that and i, I just think he has to be gone he, you have like, to find a way to get rid of that money i mean even if you strike out on lebron and strike out on the big guys it's like Clearing up that money just to to bring in someone, even if it's a guy on a one year deal, right? Huge. Like, it's worth it in a year where you're where you're trying to compete next year mm-hmm. um, to dump his money for you know even if say you're giving up a second round pick or a late protected for you know whatever or giving up TLC and the rights to onstage possession yeah. or whatever like doing that to get a different guy at eight and a half million dollars next year or or to be able to bring if it's the difference of bringing back Eliasova and Bellinelli and not doing that like yeah. just give that just eight million dollars to fucking Reddick. put it on top of whatever you're gonna pay him otherwise exactly I just I just they're in a position where you can't you can't burn eight and a half million dollars on your cap and try to be a good team next year yep. and his money will be the difference between them clearing max space right now they have about 25 million in space um Right now they have about seventy, like seventy and a half million dollars uh, going out in salary, um, which leaves about twenty, so it's low twenty million, like twenty three, twenty four, based on what the cap's going to be. Um, they haven't announced, but it, what it's projected to be next season. You can free up some of that money, like by shedding Justin Anderson. But the real thing is, if you want max space, which is about thirty-five million dollars, you need to get rid of Jared Bayless. Yep. Um, so I think that that'll probably happen, and they'll just do what they have to they need to do to make that happen. Yeah, it's got to happen. Okay, let's let's quickly just the last three guys. Mm-hmm. Um, Amir Johnson. We can just give our grades. I think um, Amir Johnson. I I say C plus, man. Yeah, I said B minus. Yeah. He he got you. He was what I expected. Yeah, I think that's what like that's what it is. He's what you expected. He had some nice moments, and I'm sure there was some like leadership things we couldn't see as fans. So yeah, C C plus B minus. Yeah, he played a big role. He played 74 games, 16 minutes a game, and um, I don't want him back mainly because I just think they need a different type of backup for Embiid. Like I right. want, uh, I I hate Aaron Baines, but that is more the type of player they need a, a bruiser. They need someone who can like. Um, bang a little bit when Embiid's out of the mm-hmm. game and, and Amir Johnson isn't really that so I would prefer someone um, doesn't need to be someone great like Dwayne Deadman could be that guy mm-hmm. um, just someone with a body actually I'm gonna I'm gonna bump I'm gonna body. bump Amir up to a uh, a solid B because okay. his jump shot is hilarious 
And when he would make a three, he would run down the court like he was striking a match on the floor, which is just fucking fantastic. Uh-huh. So now he's a now he's a B. Now he's a B. Now he's a B. Um okay. So Marco Bellinelli. Uh I think he's a B. I gave him an A minus. I like I expected nothing. I expected like, okay, maybe he'll like be what Jared Bayless is supposed to be, and he actually was like pretty good for twenty eight regular season games yeah. in the playoffs. He was slightly better than I because I, I, you know, I've been saying for a little bit before when it like when it looks like you might have to trade for him. I'm like, why wouldn't you just like burn a second rounder to get Marco Bellinelli this year? Um, so I did have a little probably a little slightly higher expectations for than you did, but just you know, he's he's the kind of player where he's only two types of things. He's either very fun or extremely infuriating. And I'd say he was very fun about 60% of the time and extremely infuriating only about 40. So I'll give that a B. Yeah. Um, I don't want Marco Bellinelli back. I'll take him back I on just, a vet minimum. I Yeah, I would too, I guess. I just don't want him to play a big role. He played 26 minutes a game in the regular season yeah. um, for them once he came on after the, after the deadline. And then in the playoffs played a pretty big role too. And I just don't think I can stomach that much of Marco Bellinelli. That's fair. He just makes way too many mistakes, takes way too many bad shots, and it's you can't be a, a good a contender and play Marco Bellinelli big minutes off the bench and have him be like a at this point in his career. I just I just think they can do better. Sure. Um, if it's a bet minimum deal because they because he wants to ring, you know, if they bring in LeBron and, and Bellinelli wants to come back on a cheap deal and and is fine, you know, maybe not playing some games or playing fifteen minutes, like sure. Um, I'm much more interested. We'll, we'll go to our last guy, Arsene Eliasova, who I'm much more interested in bringing back. I am not at all. Um, really? No. He gives you like the offensive rebounds and those little tip-ins, but his three-point shot vanished. Defensively, he's okay, but he completely fell apart in the playoffs, and I have no interest in bringing him back. Irsan Mark 1 from last year was a lot more enjoyable than Irsan Mark 2 from this year. I agree with that. I gave him a, a B. Um, I gave him a C. He was he was better than I expected him to be. Um, I thought he actually like you know when he was with the Sixers last year, it was the season before this last one. It was much more his three point shooting, right? And it kind of became um, he did a lot of other things. Like he was pretty decent defensively and was a really good rebounder. And like fit, you know, created a lot of like second chance scoring opportunities, a lot of tip ins. Like, um, I I kind of like bringing him back on a. It would only be for like a vet minimum or like a very cheap deal, but a one year deal. But they brought him back. I think you have Sharich, you have Jonah Bolden coming over. Um, if you still have Covington, you have Covington who can play that role. And then like this is all the if they go out and they get one of these guys, LeBron or or Paul George or whatever, like. Just having him as a guy who can sometimes play 10 minutes off the bench at that position, I don't think he hurts you the way Bellinelli does. Like, Bellinelli is a chucker, and um, sometimes it's great, but, like, he's just not a good enough chucker for me to justify having a chucker playing minutes on the team. Whereas Ilyasova is, like, not all that good. He just He's, like, more like Amir Johnson. He's harmless. Um, he sometimes has a nice game or sometimes, like, you know, will play 10 minutes and... and you know, t- play a, a five-minute stretch and have four offensive rebounds. Like, I'd much rather have that than a guy who's just going to jack up like contested threes. And maybe in a game he'll go four for five, and other games he'll go one for six. Yeah, I'll only take him back if he wears a third different number next year. Yeah, 
Um, so that's it for player grades. Uh, you know, I think I think what we'll probably do is we have a lot of offseason stuff to talk about. I feel a lot of it's going to be predicated on where they finish in the lottery. Um, most likely, this is going to come out on Sunday morning or Saturday night. Most likely, um, we'll do a post-lottery pod if it jumps. If it's a 10, I think we have there's a lot of summer left. Yeah. We don't want to burn ourselves out on draft talk, so we'll probably wait a little Plus, bit to do another pod. I'll probably have a nice buzz going that night. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I am. I'm going to be working because I live on the West Coast, where it will be like 5:40. Yeah. So I'm going to like watch it, but uh, not be able to really do that much around it or like keep tabs on the lottery party and stuff. So yeah, I'll be surrounded by hundreds well, of weirdos, and we'll I'm one of those weirdos. If, so yeah. Um, if it jumps, I'm sure we'll do something in the day or two days after. Uh, if not, we'll probably just wait a little bit and get a better sense of, of uh, what's going on with the draft once some rumors start coming out about who teams are interested in and all that. Uh, but I think we have so much time to talk about free agency and stuff that let's not like burn that conversation right now. Right. Um, maybe take a few minutes to, to answer some questions that we got. Absolutely, yeah. Cool. All right. I'm going to pull them up right now. Um, uh, Joe Swainkamp asked, we didn't talk about this really, we alluded to it, but he, he asked about Jonah Bolden's skill set compared to um, Mikael Bridges and some of the other wing players that people are wanting the Sixers to take. Um, but I think this just kind of opens us up to talk a little bit about what we think Jonah Bolden brings to the table. It seems like he is going to come over mm-hmm. based on his tweets and Brian Colangelo saying that he has an out and they're expect they're hoping he'll come over. Bolden like quote tweeted some of those quotes and you know with eyeball emojis and stuff. And I think he's pretty clearly going to come over. Mm-hmm. He's looked really really good uh, playing in Israel yeah. and uh, in the Euro League and has just been like. Looks a lot like Draymond Green, like does a lot of the same stuff. Yeah, super, um, super long. Super long, uh, plays small ball center, maybe a little bit of four, um, but has been a great shooter, like crazy good passer. Yeah, uh, yeah. And like outlet passing and uh, almost like Dario-like from the four or five position. Um, And he's just super athletic and handle the ball in transition. Hits threes. I, I just feel really good. I mean, I don't know how much he's going to do as a rookie, yeah. um, but I, he is a really nice prospect for them to have. Absolutely, I feel really good about. I that. think you can probably expect some mental lapses from him um, because he does. You know, his basketball IQ isn't the highest in the world, um, but I do think he's he's smart and he plays the game well. Like you said, I think he's surprisingly a decent passer. You don't just from people who are built that way. You just don't expect that. And I cannot just stress how long he is. Um, which I think just helps him defensively, both in getting up and blocking shots and just you know misdirecting passes and stuff like that. I think I you know I'm I don't want to say I'm super excited because I think it's like that's making it seem like I have high like super high expectations for him, but I'm very intrigued to see what what he looks like when he comes over. I I think if I had to say today, it's a, I guess to get to the question too, which was like how do we compare him to Mikael Bridges and stuff. I think he. It's an interesting comparison because I think Mikael Bridges, the reason I'm excited about Mikael Bridges potentially at 10 if they stay there, uh, you know, is because a lot of the same things. He has a lot of versatility. He's super long. Um, he He's like a 3 and D guy, which is kind of how I see Bolden, who can also like block shots and stuff. I think Bolden is a 
backup four or five, more, almost more of a five to me, almost like more like Rashawn Holmes, um, whereas Mikael Bridges is a two three. Yeah, like I don't I don't see him as a wing for us. I see him as um, backing up Dario probably, or or maybe even at some point supplanting Dario because of his versatility right. in the starting lineup. But um, that that's how I see it. best case Bolden panning out. Um, Casey Young asked us uh, to rank. Would we rather sign LeBron, sign Paul George, or trade for Kawhi? And I think the the um, obvious answer would be the sign the two sign guys and then Kawhi. Yeah. But I actually, my opinion's a little bit different. I actually would rather sign LeBron than trade for Kawhi than sign Paul George. I, I just think um, I, I'll give mine and then and respond to that because I know that's probably unpop, an unpopular opinion. Mm. But uh, to me, obviously LeBron's one because you're signing him and he's fucking LeBron James yep. he's amazing still um, the diff for me it's less like oh I don't want Paul George or something it's just that I, I look at Paul George and he strikes me as the um, the third guy uh, of, a, of a big three not the one guy that LeBron and Kawhi can be right and to me it's he is more in the like Iguodala uh, Jimmy Butler DeMar DeRozan like more in that mold to me than the Kawhi LeBron mold. Like he is the fits will fit in well with the Sixers. He's the bet he's a like super three and D player, a superstar level three and D player, but that is still like a role player. He's still the third guy on this team. Um I just don't long long term. Long yeah, I just I just don't I can't put him below trading for Kawhi because then you have to give things up. Um, I do put. I know, but Kawhi's just so good. He's so good I know he's crazy it. good, and I do think he's underappreciated. But <clears throat> I don't know. I think signing LeBron is obviously number one, and I think you'd rather sign LeBron than Paul George. Although you can probably argue that Paul George might fit the team better, um, because LeBron, as much as he's you know still having the best year of his life right now, is not going to. You're not going to get like a five year deal with him. Uh, where Paul George, I think you're going to have to give him five, or you know, uh, and I think the the longer a deal is, the more complex it gets down the line when it comes to time to ex- to extend Simmons, and then figure out what you do with Dario and his contract. So if he's still here, and try to f- build more stuff around that. Um, and plus, LeBron's just the greatest player to ever live, so that's why he's number one. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ben asked us, uh, is there cap space to sign a max free agent and trade for someone like Kawhi? Um, and the, the answer to that is that um, they do have the space if they're able to drop, um, if they're able to drop uh, Jared Bayless, they have the space to outright sign LeBron. Now what they could do if they wanted to try to get both him or Paul George or whatever and Kawhi is you could take, if you're willing to give up Fultz Covington and Bayless um, and potentially you'll need a third team for that although the Spurs have an interesting cap situation I'm pretty sure they have the space to take them on if not you would find a third team but you could give up all three of those guys in a deal um, and get back Kawhi who I think makes like 18 million next year or 17 million Mm -hmm. uh, because because he signed a max contract before the salary cap blew up so you would be giving out because Fultz because uh because Fultz makes um, like $8 million next year, uh, you're able to give up Fultz. You would give up Covington, who's like making 10 and a half or so. And then um, 
Bayless is making like eight and a half. And all that combined, you would get a cap savings uh, bringing back Kawhi. You'd use that and the cap you already have coming into the summer to then sign LeBron. So it's possible they could do that. I don't think that'll happen, but it's not out of the question. I also I also kind of wonder if LeBron would go to uh, the Sixers if they just traded for Kawhi, only because I think some of the allure of signing with the Sixers is that they'll be very good and he can like make them a championship contender. But people aren't going to look at it and say it's bull. People aren't going to look at it and say it's bullshit the way they did uh, with Durant. Yeah, and the Warriors. All of those things, I agree completely, and I didn't know all that about the numbers, so that's good to know. All right, Philip J. Fried asked, uh, "Would we okay? Would we be okay with the Celtics getting the Lakers pick this year if it meant the Sixers were guaranteed a top three pick next year?" No. No. I I think I I know I answered kind of the opposite lot earlier, but I think if I knew that. You know, there's the benefit of, like, the Celtics get it this year at two or three, so you know you're getting the Kings pick next year. Like, that's not good enough for me, knowing that it helps the Celtics potentially trade for Kawhi or something or just right. get a great player this summer. But if I knew the Sixers were also going to get a top three pick next year, that, that lightens the load of it a lot. It does, but, like, I have been operating in my mind the entire time thinking that if they give up pick this year, they're probably going to get a top four at the very least. So three and four is not that big of a jump. So I say, yeah, no, I, I'm standing by my, just don't give them the pick this year. I would prefer. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's it's hard. It's a lot to think about. Well, we'll know how I feel when it, when it actually happens or doesn't happen. Yeah. I feel like that's when I'll know this Tuesday. Um, that's about it. We, we went pretty long on this one and we have a lot to talk about this summer. So let's, let's like cut it here and, um, We'll be back soon, and we'll have the draft to talk about once we actually know where they're picking mm-hmm. and um, probably get a better sense of what's going to happen with the summer once like a little bit more becomes clear with what's going on with the Cavs and LeBron. And also, uh, I think more rumors will start to come out as we get closer to July, too. Yeah, definitely. To the end of the season, yep. end of the playoffs. Yep. All right, well, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon. All right, thanks, guys. It's so easy to laugh, it's so easy to hate It takes strength to be gentle and kind Love is natural and real But not for you, my love Not tonight, my love Natural and real, but not for such as you and I, my love. Oh, mother, I can feel the soil falling over my Hey guys, this is John Stolness from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season. Man, the 2018 season was... 
Well, it was interesting anyway, and the upcoming offseason looks to be even more interesting. So if you want to stay up to date on all things Phillies this offseason, subscribe to the Good Fight podcast feed and get my podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. And you'll get bonus podcasts every time big news is made with the team. Seriously, if you want to stay up to date on everything revolving around your favorite baseball team as they return to contention, make sure you are subscribed to the Good Fight podcast feed.